Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and we would like to welcome you to the very first Everything Compliance live video. And we are now live on Facebook. So, gentlemen, uh, this is a momentous occasion for Everything Compliance, for Radical Compliance, and for the FCPA monitor himself. Happy to be here, Tom, even if I don't go on Facebook more than once a month. <laughs> Uh, we wanted to do sort of an emergency uh, podcast, get-together chat on the Goldman Sachs F FCPA settlement. And I really just wanted to start with maybe your uh, kind of initial thoughts on this. Uh, obviously, the largest FCPA settlement uh, in the history of the world ever, but much bigger than that. So, Matt, what are your kind of initial thoughts? Because you're the first of us to actually get a post up. So, kudos. Uh, yeah. So, I, I have a couple of questions. Um First, I'm still struggling to precisely identify how much money is Goldman paying. Uh, I get that it is the largest corporate penalty to the Justice Department ever, and I think that's $2.9 billion, although they're forgiving $1.6 billion for credit to other agencies. Um, and then there was the SEC saying a billion dollars, a shade more than that. Uh, and then uh, everybody kind of overlooked the fact that the Federal Reserve also got in on the action and dropped, I think it was a $154 million fine on Goldman yesterday. I don't know all of the other agencies that have dropped fines, but when I totaled it all up, it came to $4.7 billion and change. I've seen others that have said more than $5 billion. None of this includes the $2.5 billion that Goldman paid to Malaysia a couple of months ago to avoid criminal charges. So we're at least up to six, seven. Um, but I, first off, I don't even know exactly how much this settlement is beyond the billions and billions. Um, my second big question, I, so as people who are watching probably know, there's like a zillion documents related to this case now. Uh, I only looked at the SEC consent order and that talked about internal control improvements. And the internal control that really failed here was Goldman Sachs internal review committees looking at lucrative but risky deals. And according to that memo and the deferred prosecution agreement, a couple of other things that I read, um, very clearly some portion of Goldman Sachs executives knew this deal was fishy. J. Lowe was involved. We already had decided as a bank, we're not going to work with J. Lowe. And now here he is. Um, they thought there was bribery. So, okay, that internal control of a management review committee failed. But all of these documents who say that say Goldman has to improve its internal control, like how do you improve that if that's the control? Because um, I have some questions about the corporate culture that would allow that to happen. And then the third thing I wanted to kick out there um, by coincidence, because there is other news that happened yesterday, the SEC also dropped its largest ever whistleblower award in history, $114 million. There are rumors running around that that whistleblower is connected to this case. I want to put myself in the skeptical camp about that claim. I don't think it's true. The SEC will neither confirm nor deny anything about any whistleblower awards. But I have seen some people wondering or saying this must be connected to that case. I don't think that percentages line up because, frankly, I think it would have been even bigger if it had been connected to Goldman. 
But my understanding is that the SEC reaches a settlement first and then decides the whistleblower award later. Well, they just reached the settlement yesterday. So if they start handing out whistleblower awards in tandem, that would be a big, big policy change. So I don't know where that is. If there's a whistleblower lawyer who knows who this $114 million case is about, please let us know. Um, but those are some of the big things that I had uh, rolling around in my head right now. Jay Rosen, what are some of your initial impressions or thoughts? Yeah, so um, I was watching the press conference on the replay last night. And at the end, when Brian Rabbit was taking questions, a lot of the uh, journalists were asking, you know, did Goldman admit culpability? And, you know, there was the question yeah. that there is three-year deferred part prosecution agreement. But when we look back at the financial crisis of 08, and we talked about certain banks or certain institutions being too big to fail, you know, is this where we take a look at Goldman Sachs now? Because they can rack up $6 billion in fines and they can still continue to do business. The question is, for them and other Wall Street banks, you know, what Matt was just talking about is how do you improve upon those controls? How do you put them in? And how do you, when they're relying on a human to be the last line of defense, how do you make that work? So that's one thing uh, I'm thinking about is the culpability of Goldman. Uh, I was also doing some reading on the clawbacks and uh, there was a quote in material put, I think this was, uh, actually in today's Wall Street Journal, and the former CEO, Lloyd Blankfein, said, um, we must always remain open to improvement, learn from our mistakes, and accept the consequences when we fail. Uh, that doesn't seem like a contrite man there. That just sounds like a man who put out uh, a press release. So those are two things. And the third thing I'm wondering, with regard to Lloyd, it made me think, did he order the code red? So if he is CEO of the company and this happens on his watch. Is he Colonel Nathan Jessup? So I had to watch that clip again this morning while I was thinking about it. And the question is, is can Goldman Sachs and can the street handle the truth? So uh, those are great points. Uh, I've got some back of the envelope numbers for everyone. Um, 2.921 billion total fine announced yesterday. Of that, one two six three one billion two hundred sixty three hundred thousand to the Department of Justice, six hundred and six million in profit disgorgement to the SEC. Although that was credited, or Goldman received a credit for part of the two point four billion they paid directly to the country of Malaysia. The SEC had another four hundred million. The Fed got one hundred fifty four million. But uh, outside of the United States, the uh, Financial Conduct Authority and the Bank of England in the United Kingdom uh, totaled at $126 million. Uh, the Singapore Attorney General's Office received uh, or fined uh, $122 million plus an additional $61 million in disgorgement. And the Hong Kong Regulatory Authority um, fined Goldman $350 million uh, all of that totals up to uh, some 600 million. So kind of kind of close to what the total figure was, although I've seen numbers over 3 billion. That's not what Brian Rabbit said yesterday. I guess the thing that struck me is I did watch the press conference live and um, 
I have had a chance to look at at least some of the documents. Goldman put out a very long press release talking about their culpability. Um, The audit or the board put out their own separate press release. And then they released a a lengthy document of their um, compliance program enhancements that they had put into place. And I'm sort of coming around to thinking that this case may be one more um, issue, piece of evidence or uh, event that is an inflection point. And I recognize the settlement of this case really is, is disjoined from the coronavirus crisis. But because of the size of this settlement, because of the conduct that, uh, as both of you guys articulated, may have been simply a process failure. Uh, or policy and procedure failure, but I saw a process failure, or at least a process override, so that Goldman could garner $600 million in profits, basically. Uh, maybe we are at an inflection point now where these things might be taken more seriously. Jay mentioned the clawbacks. Um, will that become a part of the landscape going forward? Will companies now try to articulate uh, to the public the the compliance programs, improvements, enhancements they have made. Will that also become part of the landscape? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But the um, when you couple this with just the cases we've had this year, Airbus, JNF, uh, now at Goldman, uh, but Novartis with both their domestic and international corruption, um, the Department of Justice uh, has brought some huge cases in connections with its overseas partners and um, you have to just wonder when is this going to end, Tom? I, I have one question. Actually, I have two. Just a, first, a point of fact: I'm still confused on on the fines. So, when we say a 2.9 billion dollar criminal penalty, and then on top of that, and separate from it, is the SEC's billion dollars in disgorgement and penalties, or are they combined? Do we have clarity on that? Uh, I think they're combined, Matt. With once again the six hundred million being credited for monies previously paid um, to the country of Malaysia, the four hundred million is new money, if I can use that term. Um, the the total amount or back of the envelope total amount paid to the United States yesterday uh, announced yesterday was two point two million. Excuse me, two point two billion um, plus these other amounts to other countries uh, on top of the. Um, uh, Fines paid to Malaysia on top of uh, the uh, anti-kleptocracy monies that uh, the Department of Justice was able to return to Malaysia, I think some $700 million there as well. And my second question that I have is, and Jay had brought this point up, this um, weird resolution from Goldman Sachs where they admit culpability, but they are not pleading guilty and they are having a DPA, but they are not having a compliance monitor. Like, If somebody else can explain the logic to me, I would appreciate that because I'm not quite sure I get what any of that is about other than if Goldman pleads guilty to a felony crime, it, you know, it blows a hole in its ability to do business. So we don't want that. So like, but then there's this weird thing. We're going to admit culpability, but not have a guilty plea. Like, is, Have we seen that before? Because I think it's just strange. So that actually, a question very close to that was put to Brian Rabbit from the uh, press in the press conference yesterday. And he avowedly stated that Goldman Sachs, the parent company, was pleading guilty. Um, 
that to me was a little inconsistent. Uh, certainly, Pakistan said, uh, but he said they pled guilty. They did get a deferred prosecution agreement. The guilty plea goes away. Well, in researching a little bit yesterday, I discovered that the Fed kind of routinely gives waivers uh, to banks in situations like this so that uh, they can receive a waiver. And what you and I thought of was a pretty punitive sanction may not be so punitive if they get a waiver uh, to continue to do business, even with a guilty plea in the form of a deferred prosecution agreement. Well, you know, one big thing that I, I guess I'm somewhat annoyed with here is this facade that, you know, we're somehow going to punish Goldman to the point where they would not be able to continue to do business. Yeah, they are. Come on. We all knew that was in the cards from the start. Um, so the various uh, gimmicks that we're going to use to make it seem like they're pleading guilty, but not actually carry the consequences of pleading or a guilty conviction, which is severe for a public company, like that's that's a little nuts. Um, and I'll, I'll have some other thoughts about the Fed's demands of Goldman Sachs, which I will be very intrigued by. But that was one thing that just kind of stuck with me yesterday was this uh, back and forth about are they guilty or not or what's going on. Hey, Tom, when we were talking off screen yesterday, when we were recording this week, you had talked about uh, rumors that a certain senior official from the Department of Justice was having a conversation with Goldman to potentially avoid any type of culpability. Uh, was that scuttlebutt or where did you hear that? So from? earlier this spring, Goldman uh, allegedly petitioned to speak to Attorney General Barr directly. And to uh, it was not clear uh, the purpose of that conversation or whether, whether it was to avoid a monitor, whether it was to avoid a criminal. Did, did it happen on the tarmac when uh, people were taking flights? Oh, no, they not? just called up and scheduled an appointment and went to D.C., logged in. Goldman Sachs here to see the attorney general, um, uh, whatever that was about has never come out. Uh, I don't know if it's about the monitor or something else, but um, I would say uh, it doesn't look like there was direct intervention by the, the head of the Department of Justice in this case. Although, uh, as it was explained to me years ago, uh, there's multiple levels of oversight in the Department of Justice from the uh, FCPA unit to the fraud section to the criminal division, all the way up to the, uh, obviously, a deputy attorney general. And it's something this big, the attorney general himself would have ultimate sign off. So I've got to believe Barr signed off on this. Uh, certainly the DAG signed off on this or the the acting DAG signed off on this. Um, so I'm sure it was reviewed within uh, the department itself. Jay, I wanted to maybe, um, sort of get your thoughts on, obviously, as Mr. Monitors, that's that's the business or one of the businesses of affiliated monitors. But can a, can a company really proactively um, fulfill their obligations um, reporting to the Department of Justice? Or you think somebody's just whistling Dixie here? Uh, we were having an internal conversation, me and my colleagues via email this morning, and our collective wisdom was that, you know, this seems to be rather short-sighted on the DOJ's perspective. And if you have a company that has these systemic problems and you have issues, um, yes, the company has been cooperative. Yes, they got 10% off the bottom of the fine, but uh, they nothing is going to really provide the sunlight that an independent third party can do. 
And uh, I think that the requirements are they need to report back to DOJ once a year. But, um, you know, we, we've said in the past over the last few years that only the real big matters like uh, a Volkswagen or a Wells Fargo would require uh, a monitor. And, you know, the resolution here proposed seems to be going on in line with what we've seen for the last three and a half to the four years, that there has to be something really egregious before you bring in a compliance monitor. And I don't know what gets more egregious than this. So uh, we feel that the DOJ is um, losing an opportunity to um, help this company get better and to help them get better at a quicker rate. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, th that's the first thing that they put out there that, you know, maybe the DOJ uh, did a little horse trading with Goldman. And part of the reason to get them to uh, submit a guilty plea was to say that they would waive the monitor. They're going to have to do the work internally, but I think uh, they're missing the opportunity to have an independent set of eyes in there and an independent uh, opportunity to help this company improve. Tom, can I bring up a related question that's on my mind about Goldman Sachs here? Um, we should all remember that this is actually the second FCPA case that has somehow involved Goldman this year. And earlier this year, one of its now former bankers, uh, he was charged uh, with trying to arrange bribes. He was working over in Europe where he was working with a Turkish power company to bribe Ghanaian officials to win a contract over there. And uh, this Goldman Sachs banker, uh, I, from my understanding, looks like he wasn't terribly sophisticated and slick about how to pull this off because Goldman figured it out. Goldman did not want to get caught into this mess and then cooperated, reported all of this to the Justice Department. So the, uh, the banker in question, he faced personal charges, but Goldman didn't face any consequences at all. So how do we go from that to this mess with Goldman and 1MDB? Or actually, like, I think in sequence, 1MDB before this Ghanaian caper. Um, so I'm kind of intrigued by that. But the other thing that I keep coming back to is that people wonder, how did this get by Goldman's internal controls? Well, what was different between 1MDB and this Ghanaian case? where Goldman didn't want anything to do with it and did the right thing, it's money. It's a lot more money. Um, and I still struggle with that fundamental question of what is the internal control improvement that Goldman can make when the control is a committee that is supported by compliance, but the committee of executive bankers, um, and I think there are two different committees, they review these deals. Well, they reviewed these deals and they knew that J-Lo was involved and nobody was responding to the red flags. Well, so what, how, how do you change that internal control? Do you get rid of the committee and empower a souped up chief compliance officer to work directly with the board and the CEO? Um, I, I don't know. I'm at a loss here. I'm curious to see what people would say is a suitable way to rectify an internal control like that when that's what they had and that's how it didn't work. We're coming up near to the end of our time, but I was wondering if I could maybe get your final thoughts on the following topic. Is there going to be an issue or issues that uh, you're really interested in now that you're going to take a deep dive into the documents to try to 
to tease out or uh, is it just going to be more of a general comprehensive review going forward for both of you guys? Well, if I were going to look at anything, and I, I will, um, look, the actual mechanics of the bribery, I don't think is that interesting because, okay, they use shell companies. There wasn't enough due diligence. We've seen that a dozen different times before. Um, I want to know, and this is where the Fed and its consent decree with Goldman and Goldman's board said, you must improve your internal controls. The SEC is saying you must improve your internal controls. I want to know how that will work, because that's really about corporate culture and leadership commitment. And how would Goldman's board hold the senior leaders accountable for that higher standard? Um, if they, if given the internal controls they already had, which were very leadership and people driven and those things didn't work, like, how do you fix that? And I'll be curious to tinker with that and see what we could pull out. Jay. Uh, I would be looking less from a financial perspective and, uh, you know, at the end of, uh, rabbit's conference yesterday, he quoted all the things that we like to say that. Bribery is bad because it hurts free markets and it undermines the rule of law and creates an unlevel playing field. Yeah, that's all good and fine. And that's like, you know, chapter and verse from what the DOJ says. But if this is going to be a point of inflection and if we're going to do something different, I, I still am scratching my head about why the monitor is in there. So I'd like to find out a little bit more about the negotiations and see what the pundits have to say. But um you know, I'm, I'm left wanting more about why a monitor was not uh, assigned. And from my perspective, what I'm going to try to do is something that we have done in other cases, Matt, is tease out whatever lessons I might have for the individual compliance practitioner uh, or the commercial corporation or for the multi-billion dollar multinational looking at this uh, plethora of settlement documents, maybe looking at the Titanic standing on its propellers. Uh, it's so massive. So I want to see if I can tease out some real lessons for the compliance professional going forward. Gentlemen, uh, this has been a great first time live podcast, and I look forward to us doing it again. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.